She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right. Hey, welcome, welcome, welcome. It is a fantastic day to be doing some radio, and I'm so glad to be with you right now. We have a jam-packed program. We're going to be talking about uh, China owing the United States more than $1 trillion in sovereign debt, and Oreo, the cookie company, actually pandering to uh, gender-confused individuals. They're issuing a limited cookie design. So everybody's on this bandwagon, and it feels like is it a fad? Will it will it pass? Will it go away? I don't know. So we'll talk about that. Um, in California, Democrat lawmakers have passed a resolution to force Christian pastors to advance the LGBT agenda. Now, this is something that we've kind of warned about, and now it's happening. And California tends to be, oddly enough, as much as we hate to admit it, the bellwether for the rest of us, because stuff that happens there, we see it on the East Coast in a couple of years. And then in the Midwest, usually it takes about, you know, seven, maybe 10 years before people here start trying it. But that has accelerated over time. So we'll be diving into that. Um, And then, of course, we have Whitlock, proof that liberalism is hazardous to your health, which I promised you, but we didn't get to. So we'll get to that today. Um, So I want to start off with Psalm 36. Psalm 36 is our encouragement for today. And I love this verse so much that I actually printed it out um, because sometimes I like to have something at the ready to remind myself of what God's word says and it applies to so many different situations. And this one is kind of when you're sitting by and you're seeing the wicked prosper or you're seeing someone that has done something completely wrong and everything seems to be going just hunky-dory for them. And you're thinking, where's the right in that? Now, obviously... We are not the judge of others. The ultimate judge is always Jesus Christ. We, we, we don't get to make the arbitration on what punishment they receive or if anything happens to them or if they, quote unquote, get away with something. But we do have the absolute obligation to understand what God's word says about wickedness and righteousness. And Psalm 36 goes into that so well. Sin speaks to the wicked deep in their hearts. They reject God and do not have reverence for him because they think so highly of themselves. They think that God will not discover their sin and condemn it. Their speech is wicked and full of lies. They no longer do what is wise and good. They make evil plans as they lie in bed. Nothing they do is good and they never reject anything evil. Lord, your constant love reaches the heavens. Your faithfulness extends to the skies. Your righteousness is towering like the mountains. Your justice is like the depths of the sea. People and animals are in your care. How precious, O God, is your constant love. We find protection under the shadow of your wings. We feast on the abundant food you provide. You let us drink from the river of your goodness. You are the source of all life, and because of your light, we see the light. Continue to love those who know you and to do good to those who are righteous. Do not let proud people attack me or the wicked make me run away. See where evil people have fallen. There they lie, unable to rise. Now, obviously, this one's kind of tough on the wicked people. But it should be a comfort to those of us who are striving for righteousness, because although we can't get to righteousness by ourselves through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the constant work of sanctification through the Holy Spirit, we can no longer count ourselves among the wicked. And we don't have to worry about what these first four verses describe because we're no longer in that condition. And to me, that's encouraging. So that's the encouragement for today. It was from Psalm 36. And I also want to point out some, just some housekeeping stuff. Now that we're live streaming and podcasting, 
when you go to the podcast at listen.stacyontheright.com, you will find show notes. And those show notes are on each podcast. And in the show notes, you can find links to everything that we've done. And maybe um, you're listening on live stream and you're working or you're doing something else. And you think, I wonder what that, that scripture verse was or what was that article she mentioned? Well, you can go to the show notes and click there and you can see. So it's a pretty cool feature that is kind of given to us by the fireside. It, it's It's awesome because it enables you to be able to kind of keep up with what has been posted, especially for those of you who are listening, who are not Facebook people. I also want to welcome in our iTunes family. iTunes just sent me the notification last night that we are live on iTunes in a couple of, like it says within 48 hours. It said it could be minutes to 48 hours. So if you're already here listening on iTunes, thank you so much. And we are constantly adding other services as the approvals come through. And then the last housekeeping note that I want to make is about Facebook latency. So a lot of people were complaining on Monday and Tuesday about Facebook freezing up. And one person even responded to Noah that she'd had um, other live streams that she watches during the day were freezing up. And so Facebook was kind of unreliable. Now, some people attribute that to obviously it's computer glitching, you know, slow um, processing speeds, whatever. I have no idea. Um, But there's also the issue of them kind of clamping down on conservative talk, any kind of Christian talk. They, They really... They don't offer us their best because we're not their primary customers and they don't like the message we're putting out. And that is part of the reason why I'm live streaming to StaceyOnTheRight.com. And so I'm not going to lie to you. My my focus for you, my desire for you to, is to listen to this show on the podcast. Or if you're watching, you want to watch, I want you to watch it at StaceyOnTheRight.com. And so we're going to kind of keep our tabs on the latency on Facebook, but we might limit the streaming to simply... Stacy on the right and YouTube because YouTube provides an archive for us of the shows with the understanding that YouTube just shut down some huge conservative names like Louder with Crowder. So if they would shut him down, they wouldn't even think about twice about flicking a little fly like me off their shoulder since my numbers are not anywhere near what his are. So I and, and I understand you love the the chat feature over there. It's a very fluid, it's it's nice. It's the setup at YouTube is really nice. But we have no guarantee that they'll leave us there. And that's why it's so important to have our, our stuff, our and I shouldn't say stuff, to have our videos on StacyOnTheRight.com. So that's what we're doing. And if you're looking for us someplace like on Twitter or Facebook and you don't see us there, head straight over to StacyOnTheRight.com because that's the one that we're going to be the most focused on maintaining and having the best quality of everything for you. Uh, so now let's get into uh, this. And this is kind of like, it feels like Debbie Downer to me, this this whole story about China owing us money, because all we ever hear about is that we owe them money. So this story was pretty interesting. It's over on the newly revamped Daily Caller. Talk about a website redesign. They've had their stuff uh, fluffed up, and it looks nice. Um, and so, of course, the reader function is not there. Like, if you want to click on a read-only version of the story, not there. Anyway, um, This is an op-ed by uh, Jonna Z. Bianco. And the discussion here is about President Trump actually traveling to the G20 um, in Osaka, Japan, and how this this is just a a part of a number of any outstanding issues that that the president and the United States of America have with a lot of different countries. And that's what all the little side, the pull asides and little bilats and all that are about. That's them kind of discussing in person and laying the groundwork for resolutions, solving some of these problems. So one of the outstanding issues 
which is indirectly related to trade and affects thousands of Americans who hope it will be addressed and resolved, is the little known fact, and this this is the part I can't understand, conservative nor um, left-leaning outlets have reported on this, because if it had been reported, it seems like I would be aware. The little known fact that China owes Americans a larger portion of its national debt than we owe to them. So the People's Republic of China is the successor to the Republic of China government, which came to power in Dr. Sun Yat-sen's 1911 revolution that ended over 2,000 years of imperial Chinese rule. So on the 100th anniversary, uh, the 100th (laughs) anniversary of the 1911 revolution, the Communist Party leadership gathered in the Great Hall of the People claimed credit, as they always do, for China's progress since 1911. The truth is, that China built itself up by taking Western money and then refusing to pay it back. I'll say that one more time. China, the previous regime, built itself up by taking Western money and refusing to pay it back. China then went to the world capital markets from 1912 onward and raised tens of millions of dollars in a series of syndicated financings of Chinese government gold bonds underwritten by banks from all the major industrialized nations of the world, including J.P. Morgan, Deutsche Bank, HSBC, and the predecessors to Lehman Brothers and Citibank. China was then considered a close ally of the United States and thousands of American families did their patriotic duty by supporting our then friend China by buying the bonds. Those 60-year bonds require repayment by China in gold with liens on Chinese tax revenues as security. China defaulted on these debts in 1938. When the Communist Party seized power in 1949 and renamed the country the People's Republic of China, China claimed to be the sole successor to all of the Republic of China's rights under the successor state doctrine of international law. But they disavowed the Republic of China's obligations, including its sovereign debt. So the U.S. Court of Appeals issued a ruling saying a monarchy may be transformed into a republic or a republic into a monarchy. Absolute principles may be substituted for constitutional or the reverse, but through, though the government changes, the nation remains with rights and obligations unimpaired. So, unimpaired. So these, these things are not, um, like you can't wipe out your debt by changing the name of your country, just like human beings can't wipe out their debts by changing their names, right? So... The permanent seat on the UN Security Council um, and the and the One China policy requires the PRC to succeed to the ROC's obligations. Now, Putin's Russia took years to do so, but it paid off all of the Soviet-era debt. And China is far wealthier than Russia. And they refuse to pay their national debt to Americans, even though it expects Americans to dutifully repay our national debt to the PRC. And so China actually expects to seize collateralized profits, ports, airfields, and other facilities as we have seen in many parts of the world where they've done that. Now, they actually um, have had this issue with some other countries. They had a refusal to pay the defaulted sovereign debt to bondholders worldwide. And Margaret Thatcher demanded, as a condition of China's access to London's capital markets, that China repay British bondholders in 1987. So the much poorer China at that point paid pence on the pound, but China did pay to British bondholders the same bonds it refuses to pay to Americans. 
Today, China can afford to pay Americans 100 cents on the dollar. In other words, they're not, they're not poor. They can pay it. Now, rather than demand payment as Margaret Thatcher did, past U.S. administrations encouraged multinational corporations to invest in China, knowing that China is a defaulted debtor run by a communist dictatorship that has built a protectionist economy on the backs of American workers. Democratic and Republican administrations did little or nothing to obtain this repayment of China's defaulted sovereign debt. They just helped campaign donors to offshore U.S. manufacturing, abuse Chinese workers, and pollute at will. Now, what I'm hoping is that President Trump will follow through in his tough things, which apparently he is, his tough rhetoric followed by action. Apparently, he's now working hard to deliver on a promise he made to, to us as, uh, as a candidate that he would absolutely do something about this. Now, Wall Street has never lifted a finger to demand that China pay the defaulted debt. And the Americans who are owed this money actually live on Main Street, not Wall Street, because these are bonds. But the sooner the U.S. government stops letting Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, J.P. Morgan, etc., run the U.S. Treasury, the better for America. And so the, the money needs to be repaid. And, you know, sometimes people can make negotiation like, we could forgive the money that they owe on those bonds and by, by having payments that we owe to them not be made. In other words, we don't make our payments until they pay theirs in exchange or we cancel debt out. We owe you this much, you owe us that much. I know it's not that simple, but something has to be done. Now, John Z. Bianco, the writer of this, uh, this piece, is the president of the American Bondholders Foundation an LLC formed in 2001 to collect on the Chinese government's pre-1949 debt, which is held by some 20,000 U.S. families from 46 U.S. states. So these are real people who are owed money by the Chinese government, and they are not being paid. And it should be an obligation, a duty to us to make that happen for these people. So, uh, you know, I, I thought it was a fascinating story because we... We actually have not heard about this, and it was my understanding that we were the debtors to them. They didn't owe us anything. Now, obviously, our trade relationship is very lopsided, and they owe us a lot because we put jobs there, but that's supposed to build kind of a relational duty or, or improve the relationship, not so much money that has to exchange hands. So this is a fascinating story and a fascinating look at how our international relations have really been weak people in charge don't yield good results for the American people. I know a lot of people don't like the way President Trump talks. They don't, they don't enjoy his, his, you know, demeanor. But don't we need someone who's willing to force others into making good on their debts to us? Don't we require someone who's a true leader? I don't know. I'm, it's just disturbing. Okay. All right. When we get back, we're going to be talking about Oreo cookies. Stay right there. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right. Hey there, welcome back to the show and the podcast. And uh, my encouragement to you also is please share the show. Um, and I want to say thank you to new patrons who've come on board over at patreon.com. 
You can find us, we're Stacy on the Right on Patreon, and you can become a monthly partner with us. Um, we're working on some kind of bonuses for people who partner, um, and that's going to be something that's coming along, along with the development of everything else that you're seeing. And so I've just been so grateful um, for the people who've reached out and said, hey, I listened to you. Where have you been? Um, and then I know if you're just tuning in today and you're wondering, what is she talking about? Well, for the past three and a half years, I was over at American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk, and they ended Urban Family Talk. And in the shuffle of kind of where did all of the hosts from Urban go, um, they removed me from the lineup at American Family to give that hour-long slot over to someone else. So I had two hours on the radio every day, one, and both of those hours were at Urban Family Talk, and one of them was at American Family Radio, which is the parent of Urban Family Talk. But now that Urban is no more, um, my time slot has been given to someone else, and so I'm not giving up. I'm continuing to do the show that I've been doing for almost seven years. Um, I was on commercial radio before that, and I chose to give up my weekend slot on commercial radio after I was doing that and Monday through Friday radio for a year because I thought, you know, I'm, I'm transitioning into weekly radio or into weekday radio Monday through Friday. And I want to give all of my energy to that. And I also wanted to kind of solidify, look, I'm, I'm employed by this company now, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I don't regret any of those decisions. I think they were good decisions, but that's kind of an explanation. People have been emailing me and asking, and I've been emailing back every single person who's emailed I've answered, even the mean people. And there's only been two mean emails out of the others, which there've been so many more nice emails and people just asking what happened. And if you called over and tried to find out what was going on and, you know, whatever the interaction was there. You know, I'm sorry about that happening, but I think there's just a lot going on right now and people may be frustrated and, um, you know, there's always a reaction to a schedule change at a radio station. So um, I have nothing to do with how how it all cracked out. I was just as surprised as anybody else because I was informed the day before it was going to happen only because I asked because I heard we were having a new schedule. <laughs> so I assumed it was other people when in reality it was me. So here I am, super happy to still be doing radio and putting out the content that you guys are now partnering with me to make sure it happens. And so I'm really excited about that. And I want to continue to grow what we're doing. So share the Patreon, share the show, um, and let's keep doing fantastic radio. So let's talk about Oreo. And actually, we have a couple of different things, um, but we'll get to Oreo first. Um, so first of all, Oreo, you know they make the cookies. Now, these are not cookies that I eat, but we do buy them because my husband and the kids like them. So they're, you know, just, just to let you know, I'm in this, I'm in this cookie market. I don't really like them, but I, my family likes them. So they've been around since 1912. They taste like that too. But anyway, I, we have people here who like them. Since that time, they've made all kinds of variations of Oreos and you might remember them. They've had uh, Oreos that have like, um, well, obviously, they have the vanilla ones and the double stuffed, and then they have the original Oreo, which is a dark, dark cookie with the white frosting on the inside. Um, they actually make a thin one. Um, the latest version is not even going to make it uh, like a long-term type of a thing. Here's, here's what's going on. Oreo has made a limited edition cookie for the World Pride event in New York City. It was only meant for this event, so they made a pronoun pack to appease the gender identity of people announcing the limited edition cookies on Twitter. 
We're excited to announce we'll be at World Pride 2019 in New York City tomorrow, June 30th. Celebrate with us at Pride Fest or go to our Instagram tomorrow to learn more about what we're doing and follow along with us. Uh, we're proud to celebrate inclusivity for all gender identities and expressions. We're giving away special edition pronoun packs and encourage everyone to share their pronouns with pride today and every day. So the only real change is that the design of the chocolate cookie read, ask me my pronouns and that it's, it's the packaging that's different. Um, and the national council of teachers of English is their partner in this. It sounds benign, but this is a massive organization that affects millions of teachers all over the country. This organization helped to write Common Core, um, and they've been politically far left for decades. They came out against allowing trained teachers to defend themselves from active shooters using licensed guns. That's who these people are. Um, so, again, why, why do they have to mess everything up? Um, we're talking about, you know, cookies. So the National Council of Teachers of English has actually had a negative effect on English curriculum. They've degraded instruction with politicization and gobbledygook, and the most rigorous research kind of pans them. Um, so they're still treated as credible even though they have all this garbage in their history. They literally um, just use them their influence as a political organization. Now, I know they say they're a professional organization, but they are kind of like a uh, political organization in the fact that the majority of their actions skew to one agenda, not another. Uh, so this, this makes it publicly obvious that they support the transgender agenda, and obviously this is true of a lot of the organizations that support K through 12 education. Um, but there's even a lot of outrage from this. A lot of people are saying they've eaten their last Oreo, yada, yada, yada. I, I kind of joined together with other conservative organizations that request that Oreo and other companies simply stay out of the culture wars because they don't have any place in it. The fact that transgendered people want to force Oreo and other corporations to engage in this kind of behavior is indicative of the fact that they, they want it in our faces. They don't want to allow us to uh, have, have time without them, have, have any, anything that we can enjoy, whether it's cookies or anything else. They don't want us enjoying it without their permission. And their permission comes in the form of, are you agreeing with or uh, a part of our agenda? So if you're not a part of the LGBT agenda, they want to force you to be. If, even if you're only vaguely aware of what it is that they're doing, they're like, no, you will be aware. You will be made to care. You will engage in this. It's not so much that people who are of the Christian faith walk, the, the, you know, the, the, that we choose to be Christians and therefore we hate anyone who is acting in a way that's contrary to what the Bible says. It's that we don't want to be made to participate. And that's exactly what they want to make you do. Now, I know the cookies, it's, it's not like you have to buy them. But it's the tacit approval of Oreo that makes it so impossible for us to, um, like to avoid it. In other words, if you buy Oreo cookies, then you're supporting what they're doing with their 
you know, gender confused drama. And who wants that with cookies? I mean, it almost feels like what you're doing is you're, you have a, you have something that you enjoy that's being made into something that you can no longer enjoy because it's being tainted by this whole idea that it has to be a statement about a political faction. And so that's, that's just wrong. And we shouldn't have to put up with that. So let's turn over to uh, Jason Whitlock. He says proof, there's proof that liberalism is hazardous to your health. Now, we all know Jason Whitlock. He's a Fox Sports commentator. And he tweeted on May 7th of 2018 that liberalism is black people's cigarette. <laughs> he says it was marketed to us as sophisticated, fashionable, and liberating. It needs a Surgeon General's warning, hazardous to our families and all the values we were taught. Now, we know it's worse than that, right? Liberalism is hazardous to your physical well-being. Um, and this, is, this piece is over at donserber.blogspot.com. And he's talking about um, a bunch of stories that he's seen that actually prove that liberalism hurts you physically. He starts with an LA Times story. The war on Southern California smog is slipping. Fixing it is a $14 billion problem. Now, Remember, the war on smog is something that was considered a massive success in the history of this country. A massive success. Decades of emissions cutting regulations under bipartisan law, such as the 1970 Clean Air Act, have eased the choking pollution that once shrouded us. I mean, we've got cleaner air in this country, and it's saved lives and strengthened the lungs of children's all, children all over the country. But now in Los Angeles, the air quality is slipping once again. Now, Los Angeles is a mecca of modern liberalism. It bans straws. It recycles. It's a sanctuary city. How could it possibly be smog-filled? Well, the reason, and, and this, this data is kind of unprecedented. Um, the newspaper actually reports that pollution is up all over, but nowhere is the situation worse than in Southern California, where researchers found a 10% increase in deaths attributable to ozone pollution from 2010 to 2017. Now, the region has long reigned as the nation's smog capital and has seen a resurgence of dirty air over the last few years. But, um, you know, you got this lower income community it, and all of the lower income communities are further inland where the air is smoggier and the wealthier people are on the coast, closer to the ocean, and the air is cleaner there. And all, this shift occurred under President Obama. I, I'll say it one more time. Not under President Trump. This all happened under President Obama. Now, they want to blame President Donald John Trump. He is the inheritor of a number of stinky, yucky messes that were left to him by President Obama. The story also says an American Lung Association report this year found air pollution rising across much of the nation in 2015, 2016, and 2017, which means it's the legacy of President Obama. So from 1970 to 2008, Republicans held the White House for 26 years. Democrats held it for only 12. Smog fell during that period. Now it's back. How else could liberalism be hazardous to your health? Well, let's look at AIDS. Now, it could have been stopped in the 1980s if we'd shut down bathhouses, traced the sex lives of patients, and otherwise treated it as a venereal disease. But instead, liberals made AIDS a civil rights issue. They called for teaching school children about safe sex and condoms. So the result was AIDS spread and other venereal diseases, which are now branded as STDs, came back into vogue. 
AIDS was also used as a reason to push, remember needle exchanges? Drug users, instead of trying to treat them, we would give them needle exchanges. I mean, it's just, it's lunacy. Instead of arresting them and trying to make them quit using drugs, liberals said, give them free needles because we want them to be safe. So overdose deaths have skyrocketed. Last year, we saw the first decline in overdose deaths in 28 years. Democrats controlled the White House for 16 of those years of the 28. Okay, so one more one more example, and this one's disgusting, but it's worth discussing because it illustrates the point that liberals and their policies make cities filthier, make people less healthy, and overall tear down and destroy the fabric of our society. It's the people in San Francisco who are defecating on the sidewalk, and they're doing it in Los Angeles as well, and it's not being stopped. It could be stopped, but it's not. It's not being stopped at all. And then last but not least, the anti-vaccination furor that's just rushing across the country. And again, we're not talking about people who've been vaccinated who are catching the measles right now. It's unvaccinated people who are using the loopholes and exemptions so that they don't have to be vaccinated. If you couple the push to not, not vaccinate children and then Couple that with people coming into the country who have diseases that we've never treated here before or these diseases that we've eradicated, and now we have a measles outbreak that's spreading across the country. And, and before you get ready to email me that you have some special case or that you have a, an instance of something, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the hordes of people who've opted not to vaccinate their kids because that's in vogue and uh, Melissa McCarthy told them not to, a Hollywood star who she doesn't have any background in medicine. Meanwhile, kids are getting sick. And admittedly, some of them just have the spots and they get better. But some of them are getting sick and they're having lifelong complications from having contracted the measles. And we don't have the same strength of vaccine that we had 20, 40 years ago. The vaccines have less potency now because of their methodology. And so there, there's, Whitlock is talking about all of these different issues. Um, you had Jim Carrey as well, not just Jenny. I called her Melissa McCarthy. Her name is Jenny McCarthy. Jenny McCarthy from MTV Days and Jim Carrey. Um, so the, there's, again, not just those things. There's the idea that liberals offer health care to Americans when really Planned Parenthood doesn't offer health care. Planned Parenthood is not health care. That's the destruction of a human life for the convenience of another human being. And so the and this is these policies impact every community, but the highest abortion rate, the black community. The the people in America having the most abortions, the people the liberals claim to care about the most. So I or I should say they used to claim they cared about blacks the most. Now their new their new pet project is is uh, illegal aliens and refugees. So liberals and their now socialist programs are destroying black families, black values, black culture, and by extension, the culture that everyone lives in. Because I've said for years, as the black family goes, so goes the rest of the nation. So goes the rest of the nation of people who absolutely are just... The culture is not something you can corral off. You can't say if this is going on in inner cities, we'll just leave it there and inner cities will be this way or that way, but the rest of the country won't be impacted. No, 
What happens in inner cities, that culture spreads out. That's why when you're driving down the street in the suburbs, we see it here all the time. We'll be driving and we'll see a kid who is not black with their pants, their belt, no belt, and the pants are down low and they have on some, you know, designer boxers that you can see. And then the shirt is tucked into the boxers. So it's an intentional attempt to show the boxers. The jeans are down low, so they have to kind of hobble along. That started in prison culture, seeped out into the inner cities, and is now in the suburbs. We can't ignore what happens in the inner cities, and the inner cities are almost exclusively run by liberals, which means we have to fight their policies and what they want to foist on the rest of us. We'll be back with more. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right. Hey there. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are just moving and grooving through the show. And I have to say, don't forget to go to StacyOnTheRight.com and hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss anything. And then also, you can always find um, just content we have over there. We have a column that I shared again Um, And I I shared it. It was from October of 2017. And the reason I put it back out there is because of the story of Antifa. You know, Antifa was uh, attacked in in Portland. They had some big protests and they attacked um, Andy No, who was violently beaten, um, given a brain bleed. He's experiencing cognitive issues right now because of it. And what is so sad about all of it is that he was just walking with a GoPro. I think the GoPro was strapped to his forehead. And he was walking along just documenting the protest because they're obviously protesting there because they want some kind of attention. They want to be paid attention to. They want cameras. They want to, you know, they want to destroy. They want to, you know, get a little violent with their masks on, which is, again, so interesting that they're masked and that they utilize masks to give themselves anonymity, which then gives them the ability to... um, go out and and destroy property and to behave in ways that if their faces were shown, they wouldn't dare do because they could lose their jobs. So you want to rage and, you know, get angry and destroy property? You strap a mask on, you take a garbage can from Home Depot and cut it into the shape of a shield and then put a logo on the front and go out and, you know, basically they're riot actors and they should be prosecuted as such. So Democrat lawmakers, I'm pivoting now over to the story I teased this earlier, are, are actually passing a resolution to force Christian pastors to advance the LGBT agenda, but they're giving Muslim imams a pass. Now, the, the reason that this is so dastardly is that it shows you that this isn't about the issue that they're putting forward. It's about subverting Christianity. California is actually looking for ways to infringe on people's constitutional rights, and the California State Assembly has now passed Resolution ACR 99 directing pastors and counselors to affirm LGBT behaviors in violation of their biblical beliefs. Now, they're not telling the same edict. They're not pushing it off on Muslim clerics. Many Muslim clerics actually believe homosexual people should be executed. So see the difference there? Christians don't want to execute anybody. Christians aren't trying to hurt anybody. It's just what the Bible says, what people believe, and then they're just walking that out. If Muslim clerics and Muslims in America were to ever gain a tangible majority, they would want to change our laws to Sharia and enact these types of policies. 
So CBN is reporting that Assemblyman Evan Lowe and three dozen other lawmakers pushed the resolution in the State Assembly Judiciary Committee that's aimed at telling religious leaders in California that they should preach from their pulpits, what they should preach. So the resolution also condemns counseling for unwanted same-sex attraction or gender confusion, which is sometimes called conversion therapy. And more than two dozen doctors, counselors, former homosexuals, and other Christian leaders signed a letter condemning the resolution, which they said violates religious freedom. This resolution would make it illegal to have a conversation in a counseling room that tells a person that if you want to change, it's possible. In other words, if you're not happy, you could change. You can't say that anymore if this passes. And what what's so dangerous about it is that there are people who, if you're happy living in of the lifestyle that you've chosen, why? so you're not going to have people forcing you to change. But if you are unhappy and you seek counseling, the counselor will have avenues that were previously open to them to try to help you. They'll be completely closed off by legislators who don't have any counseling knowledge. They don't have any kind of uh, experiential background or training in this area to make this kind of decision. So it's another blatant attack on the church. It's a blatant violation of the First Amendment, and it's dangerous. The measure now heads to the state Senate, which, again, you just you get to the point where you're like, okay, um, I don't know. Is it just me or do silly things keep coming out? Do silly things keep coming out of not just the California State Assembly, uh, but, but lots of states are in, engaging in this. Uh, so now I want to move over to um, the visit. Remember earlier, well, it was a couple days ago, the president made history, stepping over the line that divides the demilitarized zone between North and South Korea, and he's the first president to, to ever do that. He walked in uh, North Korea. He literally set this thing up on the fly. And I know there were some like unfortunate little side effects of the, the impulsive nature of the event, which were, of course, the new press secretary, Stephanie Grisham, was caught on tape in a kind of a dust up where I think the kind of paramilitary police goons for uh, Chairman Kim were trying to keep people out of the, like they didn't want reporters, American reporters and some of the staffers of the president, they didn't want them in the room. And she got into it with them. She mixed it up for a little person. And I don't mean little person for a slight woman. She's not very big around. She was like right in there throwing, throwing arms and pushing people out of the way. Um, she doesn't play around. Um, I think that the next press briefing, the others, in the uh, White House press corps are going to have an interesting introduction to Stephanie Grisham. Can't wait to see that. Anyway, uh, so the North Koreans broadcast the meeting between President Trump and Chairman Kim. And then, of course, that was actually broadcast in Korean. And now it's been fully translated to English. Now, there was an optimistic kind of tone to the meeting and there was a mutual kind of, uh, it, you know, they, they, they look like two people who are developing a friendship. That's what it appeared to be. So even without the translation, it appeared to be an optimistic meeting. However, the translation, now that it's been completed, is even better than anticipated. The message to the North Korean people, because remember, 
it's a communist country run by a dictator, Kim Jong-un. And when they put out news, it's heavily edited and it's propagandized. So the Korean people never get an unbiased perspective on the news. I know we Americans barely get it, but you can at least search around and find stuff because we have free speech and they don't. So it was not just optimism and propaganda. The message that was issued in the translation directly and purposely conveyed an incredibly strong message of respect for President Trump. Now, the video, I found it over at theconservativetreehouse.com. Um, and I w- actually, I'll throw this link in, onto the, the show notes as well, which you can find at listen.stacyontheright.com. And uh, you, can, you can read this for yourself and watch the video. Now, traditional propaganda messaging from North Korea would convey great power and respect for dear leader Kim Jong-un and a message of moderate diminishment towards the U.S. president or whoever else he was meeting with. Uh, This is not the same kind of stuff. Like, this is different. Um, Actually, U.S. media actually has been predicting that that's what the message would be. Turns out they were wrong. The actual message conveyed to the citizens of North Korea was one of united celebration and magnanimous respect for Chairman Kim and President Trump, specifically citing, quote, wisdom, respect, end quote, and praise for the incredible courage, that's their words, of President Donald J. Trump. That is exactly the opposite message of what was predicted by all of the president's detractors in Washington, D.C. and elsewhere. Now, all over Southeast Asia, the media reports coming in are optimistic, positive, and upbeat about the possibility of a generational crisis finally coming to an end. And throughout Southeast Asia, news outlets and media are calling President Trump a hero. So, of course, the DPK, you know, the North Korean DPRK, the broadcast is propaganda. Um, and it is propaganda because they decide what they're going to report. They're not, re- they, they don't report exactly what's happened. They make a decision about what they're going to re- report and then they report that. But in this case, this particular propaganda piece actually conveys optimism and points towards a peace and a proclamation of dignity and respect for both leaders. It's not anti-American. It's actually pro-American. This is not the norm for North Korean propaganda. And it's an incredible shift in what we've seen so far between President Trump and Kim Jong-un actually fighting and insulting each other on Twitter. To go from that to this is kind of, again, it's incredible. Um, So it's strategically positive. Um, They have also during this this piece where they cover the meeting they emphasize Moon Jae-in who is the leader of South Korea they appear to project a hopefulness of a unified Korea both nations at peace both leaders united they are uh, projecting happiness and optimism for the future of North Korea and the video and accompanying storyline make it clear that Kim Jong-un is comfortable joyful and mutually respectful around U.S. President Trump. So the more the message is actually broadcast to the North Korean people, the more likely it is that President Trump and uh, Chairman Kim will actually achieve a peace agreement and possibly break free from the captivity of the Chinese manipulation, which is the true reason behind 
uh, Kim Jong-un kind of, you know, the, the rocket launches and missile tests and all that stuff. Now, I don't know what comes from this and I don't, I, you know, I don't make predictions or anything like that. Um, but I like the momentum here. It feels like Trump and Kim have made a decision where they want to increase the momentum towards peace to such a degree that it becomes kind of one of those, uh, you know, inevitable assumptions, something that is, is building and, you know, it's, it's just becomes assumed that they're going to reach an agreement. And that assumption then permeates the negotiations and m- works to make everyone more malleable and to create a scenario where the three nations can come together and actually solve the problem. South Korean President Moon Jae-in appears to have seen the brilliance of this approach now and is positioning himself to facilitate this instead of impeding it. One thing I noticed was that not only did Chairman Kim smile quite a bit, but so did Moon Jae-in. And and I know he's a little bit more smiley. Like the South Korean president is a little more smiley. I mean, he has good reason to be. He runs a great country. His people, um, they do well, especially in comparison to North Korea. And they just have an overall happier outlook. But the people of North Korea, they're in a different scenario. And if they're given the opportunity to understand that the president of the United States is seeking friendship with Chairman Kim and wants to create a better environment for them, infusing their country with, uh, you know, real estate investment and developing the, the coastlines that they have where they could have tourism and basically opening their nation up so that they could have a true experience uh, as, a, as a developed country, um, it's pretty, it's pretty, it, it's like, this is unprecedented. And so I just want to point out that the naysayers of Donald Trump who claim that he's only there to put black Americans and, and uh, LGBT people in cattle cars, what do you say to this? How do you respond to him strategically moving from an adversarial relationship with a tin-pot dictator into a completely magnanimous kind of friendship positioning, a posture that would enable North Korea and South Korea to finally not reunify, I'm not going that far, but definitely to open up their relations so that families could be reunited and they could operate as just two countries adjacent to one another with two different leaders. Obviously, one of the president's goals is to diminish the Beijing influence, uh, to kind of maybe cull out some of the awful influences of, uh, of, of Beijing. They, they have elements within the Kim government that could be isolated and removed, and that would be fantastic. But the end goal, overarching end goal, is release, freedom for the entire Korean peninsula. And and if that could happen, it would be impactful that we're talking about tens of millions of people who have only known one existence for their adult lives, and that is separation from their family members who are north of the DMZ, and the same for people who live north of the DMZ to the south. Their family members have been isolated from them, and for North Koreans, they don't, they don't have the ability to travel and they don't have freedom. They don't have, uh, you know, individual rights. They don't have liberties. Obviously, it takes time to infuse those kinds of ideals into a country that's been strictly ruled by communism. But for the president to be the one to put that out there and to make it possible, he deserves some credit for that. It's fantastic. Thank you for being here today. Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the Right, Righteously American. Righteously American.